0: Bonjour, and thank you for tuning in to Millionaire Interviews. After you get done listening to this awesome episode, well then go check out our website, millionaire-interviews.com. Why? Well, if you simply can't wait for the next episode to come out, we actually provide all of our interviews a few days early on the site. Plus, we'll also be giving out
1: tons of... a business achievement or a salary will improve your happiness more than 5%, you're probably wrong. For anyone who's thinking about writing a book, don't just go try and write a book. Don't even study writing. Find a patent guy through a referral because there's so many hack jobs out there that can really mess things up for you. My name is Shane Stott. I'm the CEO of a couple of companies. One is a family business. We manufacture tape and glue. It's called Walker Tape. But what I'm a little more known for is the float business, which is we make sensory deprivation tanks for home use. If you've ever heard of Zen or the float tent, that's us. I was lucky enough, didn't feel lucky at the time, but lucky enough now where I went through a panic and anxiety breakdown like 10 years ago and I found my way out of it and found my way into floating. So I was able to write a book about it and capture my story. So it's been like really lucky lucky and cool but that's like a brief version of me do you mind hitting on that a little bit more on the story so yeah no joke like i wanted i I just really wanted to die at one time because the stress and anxiety was so bad in fact physically it was so bad that my vision would tremor and shake i couldn't even make it through a day without like constant medicating drinking you name it so i ended up leaving la went to move back with family and then i began this giant journey of mainly psychologists psychiatrists prescription medications holistic therapies natural remedies, exercise, you name it, I've done it all. And the one thing I found that really worked naturally to calm my anxiety and panic was meditation. So after I found that meditation worked, I was just looking for an easier way to meditate. And then I stumbled on this meditation machine type thing that was a float tank. And it happened to be a Joe Rogan video about it. And I fell in love with the idea of floating before I had ever floated. So much so that there wasn't even a float center in Utah back then. That's where I'm from. So I ended up building a float tank out of a farm fertilizer tank in my basement and I put the plans online and people started building this tank that I had in my basement all around the world. And that's how I met my future partner at Zen Float. He reached out and he's like, Hey, I see what you're doing in floating. And he had all these floating questions and he wanted to know why I designed it like this or why it's like that. And then after a while, he's like, would you want to partner with me and make a float tent or make a float tank out of canvas? And I'm like, that's the answer. That's the most affordable way you could hold water and make a float tank. So here we are. Well, what caused that breakdown in LA dude it's so weird I'm even learning more about my breakdown now 10 years out so I was at the time I was dropping out of college and I was hiding it kind of from people trying to pretend like I had it together I was working dead-end jobs I was doing every drug I could find but and you want to know the reasoning at the time was I didn't want anyone to be able to say I didn't know what they were talking about like you've never tried it you don't know so I just went and did a bunch of drugs mainly ecstasy was big and mushrooms and you name it cocaine and it, and I really ran away from my problems. I found a school in LA and I'm like, I'm out of here. And I left everything that I thought was the cause of my problems. And I got to LA and I kind of became a workaholic. And I also didn't have friends or family around. And I was in some really bad situations as far as just horrible roommates and messed up, just kind of, I, I mean, I had like gangbanger roommates that were like packing guns and things like this. Anyway, (laughs) between that cocktail trying to run from my problems and we pulled a a couple all-nighters for a Vegas trade show so I'm in LA but we're doing a trade show for Vegas and I was responsible for it two all-nighters and I ended up I finally snapped and I remember the moment I snapped where I I was like am I crazy is the world gonna collapse in my head And if you haven't experienced panic and anxiety this won't make sense but if you have I was convinced I was going to go insane in that moment and I grew up with an uncle who had schizophrenia and his whole life ruined and he eventually he died. But so my whole life in the back of my brain, I thought I could go crazy. And in that moment in Vegas, I thought I crossed the threshold. So what was really panic, I thought I was schizophrenic. And then I could not stop the ruminating thoughts. And that was my breakdown. That's how I got there. And it was horrible. At the time, I was like, how on earth could this be good for anyone? Why me? So it was weird. The drug stuff that was at
0: University of Utah, you're there. And then you ran to LA and then became a workaholic there, you're saying?
1: Yeah. So I was going to the U and working like construction and random jobs. I flunked out of the university. Of Utah, and I found an audio school, and I was interested in make producing music, so I just ran more than I wanted to go to schooling. I wanted to get out of life, it was weird.
0: After that breakdown, what happened? You started the float company,
1: yeah? But that, like I said, there's like a transition, right. so yeah, it, for sure,
0: that's what I want to hear about.
1: Oh, perfect! So it's like there it was a transition of first things first was actually medication. I went to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and he's like, You need something just to live through your days. He threw me on Zoloft, I believe, antidepressant. I really numbed me out but it numbed out the bad stuff and the good but at the time that was really useful and then I was going two three times a week therapy and I found like dysfunction in the way I think in the way I handle things in the way I run from things and it took I'd say it took a few years of different medication panic and anxiety I still go to therapy on a weekly basis I have an appointment a couple hours because I think it's really healthy but through all the mental work I found the best mix was medication is needed like a Xanax is a parachute pill for me, I have one on me in case I feel like I'm going to freak out. And I just, I don't anymore. It's not really an issue. Like I said, I, with mental work, prescription medication, and then eventually finding the natural therapy of meditation, that's how I made it all the way to floating. But what's weird is like nothing made any sense until I'm sitting here in the chair right now going, this actually worked out really cool. <laughs> so, but it, did, it was not cool. Because you don't know what's going to happen, I guess, because
0: things kind of worked out now. Yeah, definitely. I can see that.
1: It's like that Steve Jobs, like you can't connect the dots looking forward like it just makes no sense but now that I'm here looking back I go all the dots made perfect sense
0: well I guess when you're getting on that medication what are you living at home what's your work life are you working while you're doing this
1: yeah so uh, I've always worked really hard in fact I have to I have to temper how I have to reduce how much I work otherwise it is an escape for me it could be just like alcohol or just like so I have to reduce how much I work but yeah medication I found there's and this I really believe this and it's hard for me to say it but like just like some people require glasses to see better. I do believe certain people have mental conditions where they need medication to help them be normal. I think the problem that happens in society, though, is that doctors prescribe whatever that is. They prescribe whatever mental medication they need, and the person never goes any deeper than that. They don't try and change their life. They don't try and fix their life. They don't work on themselves. They don't work on relationships. They don't try and figure out how they got there. And I feel like that's the big medication mistake that we're making horribly right now as a society. I mean, it's so much more than a pill. But so that's my understanding of it now. But at one time, I believed anyone who took pills was weak or weak-minded, and I. I've been shown the hard way that that's not always the case. I
0: won't say a lot, but a characteristic of a lot of the entrepreneurs is the kind of the addictive nature that you're talking about where you have to pull yourself back. You kind of almost have to, if you're going to want to take it to the next level sometimes, but then totally. but same as addiction to alcohol or addiction to maybe religion or something, you know? Anything. Yeah. You're
1: totally right. You want know, something interesting? I got to mention it. I was talking about it with someone recently. The biggest reason I got so much done starting the businesses and building things in the beginning was insecurity. And it was honestly trying to prove myself. And in the last couple years it it was almost like insecurity is a uh, nuclear fuel where it works. If you're insecure and you're out to prove something to yourself in the world, you can get so much done, work so hard and do so well, but it comes with like a cost, just like like nuclear fuel comes with a cost. And so I'm trying to switch to a new fuel, which is because I enjoy something and enough is enough. And just accomplishment is fun and you don't need to kill yourself or be better than the next guy. So sorry for the tangent idea, but it reminds me of it.
0: No, I don't think it's any tangent at all because that's what drove me to do when I started my own business. When I left my old business, my boss said that he used a lot of profanity and said I wasn't going to succeed. And you know, use that as energy to drive yourself. Dude, it works. Yeah, it does. It's crazy. Like I was just like hooked, like on work. And I'm like, okay, we'll show him. And it definitely does work. Then uh, last year or two, I just got tired because I didn't have that drive anymore. Because I didn't have that fuel.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. That's so funny. I burned out, and I was like, why am I doing all this? Yeah. Like, but I, but I also arrived. So I wonder how many projects and businesses were started off of insecurity.
0: Yeah, no, I can imagine most. So I mean, it said if you got that competitive spirit or something in there that you want to prove somebody wrong or prove everybody wrong.
1: Yeah, you're right on, man.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about the flotation device. Like, I guess I'll let you take it from here.
1: So uh, to explain the basics of what floating is, and there's still a lot of people who haven't heard of it. So imagine like a little, a small pool of water, like eight foot by four foot. 10 inches deep. So a small pool of water, it's enclosed. It has a cover about the size of like a smart car kind of. So in this tank of water, you get in and you lie on your back on the 10 inches of water and the water is heated exactly to the temperature of your skin. And the idea is that you don't feel the water after a while. There's also 800 to 1000 pounds of salt in the water. So you float all the way up. It's weightless. There's no gravity. You don't feel the water. And in this chamber, it's pitch black. So you don't see anything. It's removing all the senses, not to mention your ears are underwater. So all you hear, if anything, is just barely the sound of your heartbeat. And what it's doing, this device, this isolation tank, this float tank, sensory deprivation tank, they're all the same thing. It's just removing all of your physical senses so you can just be with yourself in a more pure way. People assume that it's for this or that I've found with floating, it can be anything. It can be a meditation device. It can be a recovery device. It can be a, like a performance enhancing device. It's a very, very powerful tool we're just now kind of seeing the power and effects of it it's getting really popular just i don't know if anyone listening watched the nba finals i'm sure someone did but steph curry had a floating commercial kaiser permanente where he laid down in the water and he fell through it and there was the net and the basketballs and all these things and he was working on his mental game that's float therapy that's what the float tank that i'm talking about is so we sell float tanks that go in people's homes all the other float tanks pretty much going float centers, which float centers are really cool because if you're not a diehard floater, you can go to a center anytime you want and use their tank. And it's like a spa experience. So
0: has that been taken off recently? I haven't heard about those float centers, at least where I'm at.
1: Yeah, check this out. So seven years, like six, seven years ago when I was trying to float, there wasn't one in Utah. There was like 30 in the country. Now there are over 400 float centers in the US alone, dude. So it's like, it's exploded. There's like uh, five or six in within an hour of me.
0: So are y'all the first one to make this tent, and has that made your business explode?
1: Yeah, explode. But we're not huge. I mean, we, we sold the hundreds of tanks, and so we don't discuss the exact details. But like, what our biggest goal was initially, because the idea was so novel, was to lock down the intellectual property because we truly believed we created something special. So we we spent the first. I mean, we're three years old now, but we spent the first years getting the product right and getting the intellectual property locked down, just kind of setting the foundation. We have a place in China. One of my partner lives in China. He's He's from England and he moved there 12 years ago. His name is William. My other partner is my brother and he's here and he runs the distribution side. So we have a factory or a, no, just a warehouse in Salt Lake City. And that's how we do what we do. We've really built a strong foundation where now we can begin cranking it up. And we also sell salt. So we're, we're a one-stop shop now.
0: And you're not talking about the drug salt. You're just talking about regular salt, right? Yeah, kind <laughs> uh, of.
1: So definitely not the drug but um, it's Epsom salt, which is not like table salt. A lot of people think it is, but Epsom salt's Kind of a special salt that is really good for your skin and hair. It's really easy on the body. So it's Epsom salt.
0: Can you talk about dealing with the intellectual property, especially for an entrepreneur? It seems like it might be difficult to like keep trying to work the system in order to do that. And just tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So I have some great advice on this. So if you know you are going to have funding and money, I would get started with a good patent attorney quick, or a, I guess they call it a patent, but the person who does the patent and have them begin doing everything they can to prevent people from infringing but that's if you have funding and money but there's a poor man's way and that's just to get a provisional patent which is you i think you pay about six hundred dollars and you can put your mark in the sand on your idea but you only get one year under a provisional and then you have to pretty much have a functional product to market is the way i understand it and i'm sure some patent guys gonna hear this podcast and make like, he's so wrong but i'm I, I the basics is if you're a poor man you can still do a provisional patent on your idea and you have a year to run while you're trying to set up supply and get it going but if you really want to. Protect yourself. You're going to need to spend just to to do it right. And honestly, find a patent guy through a referral because there's so many hack jobs out there that can really mess things up for you. So get a referral on a patent guy.
0: Yeah. Did that happen to you, or do you have any stories about that?
1: Yeah, I've, we've pursued a couple different patents, and it was expensive. And things got dropped, and things we've I've even had patents um, that like the provisionals that expired. It's like you got to have someone who really cares about you. Otherwise, you're just like a mark in their QuickBooks. And it doesn't really matter. And And they, you might lose something, you might miss something, you might not cover a base or a hole or update something. And yeah, oh, and another thing is, and this is my understanding of patents, and this is what we pursued. We pursued, you know, US first. And then we went Canada, UK, Australia. It could change by product, but a lot of countries don't really give a shit what patent you have. So, but those those four are, to us, we're worth pursuing.
0: While you're doing this, because you did this about four years ago, you're saying, didn't you start another company before that or no?
1: I kind of learned the ropes at the family business, which is about 10 years ago. I sold the isolation tank plans maybe five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. That was just a, a little trickle of income selling plans. And then it was the float tanks. No, I, I'm sure there's little things in between but nothing that did much. Okay. And
0: you're talking about going to China now. So let's go talk about patent and then get this stuff made in China. What was your experience?
1: Yeah. China's the wild West <laughs> and there's, there's just no, there's no good protection over there. So it just feels relationship based. But I mean, as far as working out of China, my personal opinion, is I tried to work this even long, long ago, I tried to work through China. And if you don't have a guy who you personally know can have phone conversations with walking around in China, I kind of feel like good luck because it's not going to, go very well and China just in general they I mean the U.S. the U.S. gets whatever U.S. prices you get treated whatever the way you're going to get treated but when you have someone in China someone who's visiting factories they're the people who can help you set up supply help you do it right not to mention in China they're very formal with business It's, it's a formal almost ceremony you go in you drink tea everyone's smoking cigarettes and you just talk about family who you are what you do the business card is so important it's like a sacred thing if you give someone your business card. And then at the very end, you talk business. But most of the time, it's kind of who you are, what you do. And they want to show you what they can do. And show you their supply and parts, the factory and the people. And it's China, really, really, you got to know someone who's there. If you're going to do another way, you you can be okay. You can probably find a supply chain, but it's just not the same. I've done it both ways. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, and before we talk about doing it both ways there, I've heard that before too, about the Chinese, whenever you go over there and you're talking about negotiation or contract, you talk about everything but business. Yeah, And I remember this guy, when I came into college, I still remember this. He was an experienced real estate guy and was going over there buying property. He said every time, even when they're new people, he knew how it was going to go and they'd wait till, it's been all day together and they wait till they're in the limo taking him back to the airport to talk for business and try to work out the deal there because then they feel like, oh, he's got to do his flight to go back to US. We've got the power now in the negotiations. And basically every- Isn't that crazy? Yeah, every single time he, he made sure that he told them he had to leave a day early. And so that way they'd take him there and then they're like, oh, okay. He's like, no, I can stay overnight. And then they'll talk it out the next day. And then, so I think that's, a, wow. yeah, I think that, that was pretty smart strategy. I'm like, if I ever do business in China, at least I, I know I'll try that out. Or at least uh, give him a heads up yeah, a day early when I'm, you know, but
1: that's so funny.
0: Yeah. Talk about working with the Chinese guy over there versus not. Cause I, I've heard that experience as well. Yeah. If you don't have a guy, good luck.
1: Yeah. And I say, I have a guy, a lot of people would have to go find a guy, but it's my partner and friend, William. And he, that's
0: a good guy to have. He, yeah. So
1: he, <laughs> he lives there. And his wife's Chinese and they have a couple of kids. Did you try it before without having a guy? Or I guess yeah. you've always had your partner. No, so get this. So I used to try and supply certain things out of China, like packaging, mainly packaging actually. And I would get like a, a price of, let's just say, I have a specific. So we were trying to buy foil tubes out of China. We shopped all these different manufacturers. Our best price was like 28 cents. And it's like, okay, uh, that sounds like a good price. And you're trying to figure out the details, whatever. When I eventually you know, met William, William's like, what are you guys looking for? I'm like these foil tubes, and I sent it. To him. He's like, okay, we're gonna go to two factories who do that nearby. I'll let you know what happens later today. He went and ate and had tea or whatever with two factories and got prices. And he got back. He's like, yeah, man, four cent. And I was like, what? And he's like, people don't sell things for the same things within China for the same price. Mm-hmm. So if you are selling to China in China, it's totally different. Once it's going to the U.S., it's cranked up
0: were you selling this stuff in china or it's just because he was there really he said he was going to keep it in china
1: yeah or, i mean he could bring it in in china and send it over okay i got you this brings up a great topic of like well why not keep jobs in the us why do this <laughs> and, I, and i feel like it's uh we're there's just this inevitable thing with an earth full of humans where people will do things for less because the money means so much more to them over there they're happy to get the money and it's kind of like a sad it is a sad reality that the jobs the things are so expensive to do here that you end up going overseas i wish i I had a good answer that i felt great about but i will say that in china the standards of living they, they seem to be going up i know wages are going up but like uh, there's there's more benefits for employees now compared to ours they're, they're nothing but as more business is in china it's getting better
0: I think most of the people who listen to the podcast are smarter to understand that simple economics, it's more just people complaining instead of building a business where they could actually do something, they're complaining about jobs leaving. But again, if the entrepreneur is going to do the best price, he can so he can give the consumer the best price, right? So it's yeah,
1: it's, it's full circle
0: like oh I, w- I want this cheap but the only way you're going to get it that cheap is if you get it from china so sorry if you don't want it that cheap then that's fine you can buy the more expensive stuff but i mean just simple economics if ask yes, me yeah me too let's talk about the experience with building this i guess when y'all came up with the idea how did you figure out this would actually even work
1: so william my partner he was making a product called the bud box which is an indoor grow room so he was already making canvas products that held water so this was an easy transition for him okay uh, so when i heard the idea i knew it was an awesome idea because it's like shippable compact light flexible you name it but i also was like but are you sure it can hold water
0: (laughs) yeah that's the main thing right because it could be a disaster if it doesn't
1: it seems scary but no so it's it's not like we stitch it it's a weld so we fuse the we fuse vinyl together and then what's cool about how we do it And we learned this the hard way because I had one of our prototypes leak in my house and flood our upstairs into our garage. (laughs) Oh, no,
0: you had it upstairs too. (laughs) Yeah, it
1: was awful, dude. And it was just... Uh, My I had to ask my wife to hold her finger on a on a hole while I went and got radiator repair at AutoZone. Yeah, but with through that adventure, we learned that every tank needs to hold water, so we fill every tank with water and then we let it sit and dry it out and put it back in box. that's smart. Yeah. So and we haven't had a leak or anything. I mean, it could still very easily be punctured if someone got sharp stuff around there, but people are pretty careful. And there's like two or three layers once the covers on. When you started
0: doing it, did you think this would be a big business? I mean, was it just more of a hobby thing? first?
1: That's a great question. I'm so pulling. honestly, <laughs> when I, got, when I got started, I thought floating would stay more niche. Like I thought floating was going to be the, like the random guy who was really deep diving into himself and really this special tool. And then as I was, you know, helping people build tanks and prototyping and going Kickstarter, and even the Kickstarter we did, it made me realize like, wow, there's a lot of demand out there. And then all of a sudden it was like, there's 200 float centers, there's 300 float centers. And now what I thought was going to be like a little niche business is like you know what this is a viable big therapy and it's coming pretty fast so I've been surprised at what it's done and like I said the commercial and the fine NBA finals in America pretty big deal
0: well how about we go back to when you actually you're making those diagram and selling them online yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit more? How much were you selling them for? How many were you selling?
1: Uh, not a ton. I was probably bringing in like 500 bucks, whatever that divided by 24 is so mm-hmm. for 20 a month. This is an interesting takeaway. So, so much of what has worked for me, I did for myself. So for instance, the plans, the only reason I did it is because I wanted to build a DIY tank in my basement for myself. And then I assumed, you know, other people would want that as well. And then it's like, I want an affordable float tank because the next float tank in is like 10, 12,000 bucks. So that's how I go in that direction, affordable float tank. But everything, oh, another example is my book. So everyone asked me, Shane, should I float? Why should I float? And I go, what do you do? You know, do you do sports? Are you anxious? Da, 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 da. And I felt like someone needs to just write a book that like covers all the concepts. And then I was like, I could just mix my story in too because I had like a total nervous breakdown, found my way into floating. So everything starting from, you know, plans to float tent to book was because it, it should, be there and it wasn't and if if you ever have that feeling i feel like the odds are way better that it will go well were
0: you scared to open up about your breakdown
1: uh yeah and originally dude i no joke i remember telling i was nervous to tell an like an uncle or a cousin that I saw a psychologist or that I had to take medication. And I remember that was early on and it was, I I thought I was weak and I was embarrassed and I thought I was special and I, you name it, it was bad. And then I just started telling people one at a time and pushing my boundary a little more, a little more, a little more. Now I forget that it's even like some people don't talk about this openly. What I hope is that, because every time I talk openly about all of my mental, my medication my psychology every time i'm open and honest about this stuff people come up to me later in secret and they go oh God, i have the same thing i do the same thing who do you see what do you take where do you go how does floating work for you and it's like it's crazy so it's, this is everywhere but it's still kind of hush hush it's crazy
0: do you think that's helped you a lot because I've, I've heard that just opening up and being it's not even like you're hiding really anything but the, the more you talk about it that people won't talk about certain things that actually helps you and makes more people i don't know trust you right
1: i think there's no faster way to build trust than like to be super vulnerable. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to just, it's almost like be naked with a person. Like mm-hmm. if they're willing to do it with you, it's like all of a sudden you have to trust each other. Otherwise, it's just it's not. gonna
0: happen. Well, I'm naked right here right now, so you have to deal with. Your, we're doing <laughs> no video. We're doing no a, video. So. <laughs> a little
1: awkward, but thanks, man.
0: <laughs> well, tell us about uh, writing a book. That was your first book you ever wrote.
1: Yeah. So this is great. I'm assuming the people listening to your podcast will get a lot of value out of. It. So I had a mentor of mine, and he was. Talking Talking about books and why they're important and what they can do. And everyone knows, like, go write a book, you'll establish yourself, get more leads, get more business. This is all probably true. But the big takeaway I got from my mentor was Shane, if you were gonna go produce a great video, would you go buy the gear, set up the tripod, jump in front of it, start filming, start scripting? Like, would you do all that? And, no. If you're gonna do like uh, I don't know, what's another thing? If you're gonna go create a bunch of imagery for the net or like create a web page, would you go learn Photoshop or how to apply filter? No, okay. Now if you you're gonna write a book, and it's your story, your content, but you've never written a book, and you're not a trained writer. Would you write a book? I mean, no. It's like the same thing. Okay, so just hire someone who can make it nice. It's still you. It's still your content. I wrote pretty much 90% of the book, but I just wrote with no regard to structure, sentence, polish, how it sounds. I just wrote my story, and I just poured it out of myself. And then I had a great editor. Her name is Amy Anderson. She's a best-selling editor, author ghostwriter. And she is the one who made my book beautiful. But for anyone who's thinking about writing a book, don't just go try and write a book. Don't even study writing. Just be open, real, and honest and get your content out and let someone help you craft it. Because I don't think you should have to learn.
0: I don't think that's what it is. How long did it take you to write it? And how much would it cost if someone wanted to do something similar?
1: Yeah. So I don't know like what Amy charges now, but I'm going to guess... Ballpark. I bet you could get uh, like a book plan with the purpose, the market, just the demographics. You get a book plan for a few thousand bucks, but it's I mean it's really well studied. What's your what's your space? What's the title? What's the topic? What's the content? Why does it matter? You could get all that for a few thousand bucks. If you did like I did, and I feel like I spent around fifteen, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. If you're gonna write all the content, but someone else is going to make it a beautiful story, that's I I would say it could be anywhere from ten to fifteen for for someone great. Now you could. I'm sure you can hire this out. I'm sure you could Elance and get some lucky guy who's a good writer, and you could probably do it for a few thousand bucks. But for me, I was like, I want. I want a, a best-selling book. It has a purpose, and it, it's for floating. So I covered the the basic, and then if you do the majority, you can get a book written where all you do is like hour-long phone recordings for by a best-selling editor-writer for anywhere from twenty 000 to thirty thousand dollars. There's gonna be a lot of people listening here. These prices make like, you over. Spend, You're stupid. And I could get this done for $2,000 and they're right. But for me, if I'd, I didn't want to take any chances, I wanted to get it right, right out of the gate and it had a purpose. So the spend was right for me. And if you look at the book right now on Amazon, it's got near perfect reviews. And I've had people write me many, many times that this book changed their life and it's 100% me and my story. And I didn't put all the like paragraphs and words and things just how they were, but I wrote 90% of it, you know, and it's, I don't even care anymore more. I think it's cool. But at one time, I was very shy of that. I was like, what if someone found me out? And I was like, no, it's me and my story. I wouldn't go shoot my own video. I'd hire a video guy and jump in front of the camera. You know. So anyway, that's how I feel now.
0: I was going to ask your favorite book later on. So
1: is this it? <laughs> my favorite book? No, <laughs> no, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. um, right now, I have a favorite book for sure. I don't know if you want to talk on that or if you have. Other yeah, books. go ahead. So I have found my, one of my all-time overall weaknesses in life, and it's, it's like deep down to the core of me. And it was developed as probably a child. And it, the book is called No More Mr. Nice Guy. Have you ever had a book where you push play and within like 10 minutes, you feel like someone wrote it for you? Like, how do they know exactly me or what I'm going through? Or This book was that exactly for me. And it's basically people, and there's a thing going around with men in our generation where we want to, like, we want to do things right and we want things to be, we want to take care of, you know, make it good for the other person. Is the other person okay? And this goes for any relationships. This goes for your your friendship, your marriage, your work dynamics, your boss. In certain compartments of my life, I would just be the nice guy. I wouldn't value my needs or... I wouldn't even acknowledge I had needs. I believe that everything needed to go smooth all the time in my relationships and it was actually You study, you listen to books, you show up, you write a piece of content a day. So that Darren Hardy's book, The Compound Effect, taught me big things are just a bunch of little habits that you don't break for anyone. I'm trying to think there. I have one other book and it's just not coming to my mind. So if I think of it, randomly, right, tell you.
0: Let's talk about the book one more time to save up that much money to pay for it. Was it because you were making enough money from your float company? Because it looks like you published this in August, 2015.
1: I mean, honestly, getting the float business off the ground, we didn't draw much money at all. So it was money I made family business.
0: Did we talk about the family business? Because you keep saying the family business.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so honestly, I got into the family business, which my grandfather started in 85. It's a manufacturing company, tape and glue Mm -hmm. for wigs and hair extension. I came here 10 years ago and I was actually reluctant to come here because I wasn't interested in tape. What I quickly found out was that business is business. And if you enjoy the people and you're growing and learning, you're going to have fun in a lot of different businesses. When I got here, I learned how to treat people well and how to kind of lead and manage and start projects. And I learned about, you know, marketing, sales and processes and customer service and as i came up with walker it was perfect timing because that's around the time plans and zen started and so it's been momentum from starting in a family business and
0: that business was called walker tape company
1: because i heard you say walker but i don't know if we mentioned the whole company name yeah
0: walker tape co so now what's your day-to-day like
1: day-to-day someone told me to change this but this is the yeah. day to <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's your day you decide
1: <laughs> so, yeah someone's yeah, like you
0: tell them to change their own damn day
1: I'll, t- I'll tell you how it is currently. And I'll tell you how they said it should be. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. So I start every day like 8 to 9.30 at Zen. And I make sure everyone's squared away. And then I leave. And I go to walk. And I go from walker from 10 to 3. then I leave. I go back to Zen, 3.30. And I make sure everyone's where they should be. And the day went like it should. I go, I don't know, 5, 5.30. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to someone recently. And they mentioned some book, which always helps a little for credibility. But they're like, dude, you should try, instead of that, doing deep deep. deep dives and doing whole days at one place or the other. Mm -hmm. Like your whole days is in your whole day at Walker and just divide them up in days of the week. And I'm thinking about it, but it's working pretty good how it's going now. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah.
0: No, I probably just go until I get tired of doing it. And then once it gets a little monotonous, then it's time to switch it up, I think, but
1: that's a good idea. That's probably what I'll do.
0: Kind of in closing, what do you wish you knew when you started and what do you want to leave entrepreneurs with?
1: Oh man, I got a perfect one perfect, perfect, perfect one. So no matter what you're doing in business, mix with people. So go mix with business groups, meetups, when you're broke and starting, go to the stupid library meetup of like, hey, online business, whatever. And you're going to meet some person who helps you do one small thing that gets you a little little farther along. Then once you're making like a few hundred bucks a month, even all of a sudden you can afford to go to that silly summit. And the reason I'm using these words is because entrepreneurs think things are silly or small or not worth it, but it's just part of the process. So spend that 300 bucks, go big, go take that course or class or seminar, boom, whatever. All of a sudden you met one person or one connection, one thing worked out and now you're making a few thousand. Now, pay to play. So find the biggest, baddest thing you can go to where you trust the caliber of people is high. And one of the quick ways to get caliber high is to spend more. So go to that $5,000 two-day thing and you're going to meet other $5,000 two-day people and you're going to share your best stuff and you're going to make friendships and bonds. And now you're like really moving and shaking and you're changing things. And now you're making ten, twenty thousand. 20,000. Now go to the $10,000 thing, join a $20,000 a year mentor join. And as you, this sounds stupid but it worked perfectly for me but you spend and the caliber goes up and do the bigger things that are needed to be done and it's i I can honestly look back through everything that's gone well and it went well because of i mean of course you could say it went well because of work ethic and habits because it does but things pretty much the majority of everything was because i met someone who told me one nugget that made all the difference and you're not going to meet those you're not going to meet that ten thousand dollar guy at a library meetup you're just not so that's my takeaway just go just trust the process. Start small and go as big as you can.
0: What level are you at now for those type of conferences? And can you tell us about the last one you went on or the best story you have in one?
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I've paid like thousands of dollars for a few hours. i paid just recently. I was a call. Have you ever heard of clarity.com? Mm-hmm. Just recently, I was on a clarity call that was a thousand dollars an hour and it was worth every penny. Try that. I, I remember being like a thousand dollars an hour. Okay, let's try it. And I mean, the guy's super credible and the guy gave me like two nuggets that made like tens of thousands of dollars different, and I would. There's groups right now that I kind of have my eye on. That if the opportunity popped up, I would join up tens of thousands of dollars. But it's worth it. It's money well spent. The guys that are going there are the big players. Right. That's my advice.
0: You said Clarity.com because I want to go there. Because
1: let me check. It might be. It might have had a weird domain. Yeah. Clarity. It's a service that patches you through two experts clarity.fm
0: yeah the on-demand business advice you're right, you're right
1: there you go so if you go to clarity.fm they just charge you so they hit charges you by the second so what's funny is you you book whatever the person allows you to book so they might be a thousand dollars an hour and you have to book an hour or they might allow you to book 15 or 30 minutes but whatever happens if you talk for two hours 20 seconds you're getting billed for two hours but honestly the people if they have reviews and ratings and they do exactly what you're looking for. Book a call with that person and spend the money. I mean, be realistic. Don't kill your business because you spent too much, but push that threshold and get that advice and hang around with those people that are bigger, badder, stronger, faster. It works.
0: I think that's cool. Like I'm just looking at it. Yeah. So for instance, when I went to Clarity, I would go ahead and click on browse and I did businesses. And then the first guy is like 83 bucks per minute and has like 400 reviews. And the next person could be like 250 per minute, but I have hundred views and maybe he just doesn't have as much built up. And so you have that range, no matter who's listening. Good point would be able to hopefully get that, right? So that's that leveling up right there.
1: Yeah, and you might be able to book a short call and prep right. your questions and just boom, boom, boom. I mean, it's smart. I got to interview this guy. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> All right, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Is there anything else that you want to tell the entrepreneur who's listening?
1: Thanks for having me on, by the way, Austin. It's been very cool. If I had to tell anyone who's listening, if you think a business achievement or a salary will improve your happiness more than five percent, probably wrong. So be careful. I would seek it through helping people, doing something you're great at, mastering a craft that's will bring you more joy. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks. Awesome.